Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. She's an international award-winning publicist and the founder and managing director of Lamori Media Incorporated. It's Tracy Lamori. How are you doing today, Tracy? Very good. Hello. How are you doing, Alex? Doing good. It's finally nice to meet you and talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we'd like to do first is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So the very, oh, the very beginning. So I was born in Ottawa, which is the capital city of Canada. Now I live in Hamilton near Toronto. I spent most of my life near the, in the Toronto area. But I was born in the nation's capital, yeah, which is um, Ottawa and very proud of that. You know, Ottawa is very proud of being the nation's capital kind of thing. It's all diplomats and, you know, Washington kind of style. But I, I, left, I lived there till I was 10 and then moved with my family to Toronto. My parents got divorced when I was 10. I ended up living mostly with my mom. A good relationship with both, though. She was a, a power woman kind of in her own way in the corporate world in the 80s when it was a lot harder to do that in the in the field of collection. So she was like a hard ass, you know, you couldn't mess with her and she's a sweetheart. But at work, she was like, and that was in the 80s, you know, when you had to put on your makeup armor and go and kick some butt. Of course, I didn't appreciate that as a teenager, but, you know, so that's what I come from, the power woman kind of vibe, I guess. <laughs> so growing up in Canada, what are the biggest things that you learned about yourself growing up? So I was always um, looking back and I think even that I, I thought growing up, I thought I was shy, but people who knew me when I was young say I never was. And I guess you, so I may have questioned myself inside like we all do, but I never, you know, was intimidated enough to be quiet. Like I always spoke out and I'm glad I did because I learned really young, even though I didn't have any influence back then. I wasn't a publicist. I didn't know celebrities, you know, but I learned very young that if you raise your voice, people will listen and something will happen and change will happen. That happened every single time I ever did that. Even from 15 on, you know, I was successful in all the little things I was trying to do. Not talking about successful in terms of money in those days. I didn't start even caring about that until more recently thinking, okay, I got to, I only have a good 15 more years. I better make sure I'm not eating cat food. But but uh, now business is going well because I turn my attention to that, but still very heart centered. But yeah, so I, everything that I did, you know, kind of, um, was least listened to or worked and then ultimately which got me you know that's why I think I, I've been asking the question lately is why did you do some of the things you did later which is like I'll try to get an innocent man off death row which ultimately worked and part of that reason is because I didn't believe that you couldn't do things you know and actually I posted about it today if I were talking about this you know that old God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can Mm -hmm. and the wisdom to know the difference and I said that's actually great advice but the problem is too many people put too many things in the first category of things they can't change and not enough people realize no there's actually a lot more things you can change it's still great advice you should you know accept the things you can't change but realize that there's a whole lot more things you can change than you actually think in your everyday so yeah so with those people that thought you were shy, were they able to see over time that maybe they thought wrong and how you were able to have that voice and be out there and be able to talk to people? No, it was more the other way around. I thought I was shy. Like when I look back, I say, I say oh, I used to be shy growing up when I was 14 or 15. And people said, what? No, you weren't. And I said, yeah, yeah. I clearly remember sitting there being shy. And they're like, that's not the way it seemed so I think I always you know I was shy you know but I didn't I didn't let that stop me I guess I was always like I also always had that brave attitude or I don't know if you want to call it brave or just like no you're not going to get the better of me uh-uh stubborn maybe 
to be stubborn, not, not brave, you know? So it didn't matter what you threw at me. I was going to be, you know, I was going to be resilient and you weren't going to get me down, period. So that was for any challenge, really. And I remember, you know, I don't think of it in those terms, obviously, but I remember when I was 15, my best friend's mom said to me, um, one day, actually two things. I guess I, I did show like some adults noticed that because my best friend's mom said to me, um, yeah, I noticed you just keep on going. You don't, you know, you have a lot of bad things, you know, like you know, not a lot of bad things happen to you more than anybody else, but you know, teenage stresses. And she's like, you don't let things get you down. You just like, you know, I noticed that I was like, oh, okay. And then, um, also another thing when I re- kind of relate to that too, is my parents got divorced when I was in grade nine. Right still maintained a good relationship with both of them so it wasn't it was upsetting kids are upset obviously but I mean looking back it wasn't like devastating to my life at the time it felt like it but you know however that same year my grade nine English teacher apparently said to my mother when he met her in teachers parent teacher he's like oh it was the first time he knew what the situation was at home that it was you know split up family he's like huh he goes normally I can tell with kids in the class if they're from a family that's like split up or a family that's not, it's like, I literally have no idea with Tracy. So again, I didn't know what that meant then, but I guess looking back again, I was just like, whatever, resilient. Like, but I think a lot of that was, I was a reader and I read in psychology today a few years ago that the best escape truly is reading. And it's true. Even now, if I'm mad or all hyped up about something, but for some reason I go and, you know, pick up the New Yorker and I get really involved in it two and a half pages in you know my heart rate's down I'm in the story I'm not so upset so maybe over a lifetime you know that's been an equalizer an emotional equalizer right I think that's a good thing that you mentioned about like how your teacher didn't even know what was going on at that time because a lot of the kids have gone through that similar situation where they it affects them but now people can find ways to overcome those challenges and when you when you were going through that, were your parents able to be like co-parenting in a way where they were doing anything that it did not affect what you were going through at that time? Yeah, like I remember um, they were pretty good about keeping any kind of, you know, negativity away from me. Like I knew they were, you know, you know what I mean? I knew what the situation was, but it wasn't like a game playing thing where people are like using the kid to this or that. I was able to go see my dad all the time. He actually, so from a parenting perspective, thinking about it back, he actually, when they split up, he took a place pretty near to us so that I could still walk to his place from school, his, his new place mm-hmm. after school. So it was different. I didn't like, I hated that my parents split up like any kid would, right? Obviously. But in terms of looking back, it wasn't actually... It, was, it wasn't deeply disruptive looking back. It felt like it at the time. Oh my God, how could you guys do this? You know, like any kid, because all you care about is yourself. But looking back on it, no, my, my dad stayed completely involved, not just the weekend dad, which he obviously had the weekend, you know, but also my mom didn't limit it to just weekends. It wasn't like, okay, you get her on two weekends, that's it. And they didn't play those kind of games. I was able to go to one house or the other and I was able to walk to both and, you know, so there was that security and, you know, I ended up using my advantage in my late teens, actually, as kids will. You know, if if they were both completely different homes. My mom at that time was, you know, restrictive in in some ways because she was religious, but she's not anymore. So there were certain things. She didn't have a TV at the time. She wouldn't allow, you know. So when when that was a little annoying over there, I'd go over to my dad's. And when his different kind of annoying was annoying, I'd go to my mom's. And there was a point when I didn't want to tell either of them that I wasn't actually living at their house. It was kind of an emotional balance. I felt bad like they both wanted me to live there. So I actually had a room at both houses and it was like, oh yeah, I'm just, <laughs> literally, I would just go wherever I wanted that week, which is great for a teenager, you know, 
but it was a balance. Looking back, it was also an emotional balance because like I, I wanted them both to think I actually lived at their place. <laughs> and I was just going to the other one's house that I was spending about equal time. <laughs> so now, did you have any motivations or someone that inspired you? Uh, inspired me? Absolutely. And it sounds silly, but John Lennon was probably, and I was 10 years old when he died, but he's definitely there outside of my family, the biggest single influence in my life. The reason I became a, an activist, the reason I first went out to a, any kind of justice march, which at that time was the first thing was a peace march, a memorial of Hiroshima and Nagasaki when I was 14 or something. But more importantly than all that, he actually he's probably a good part of the reason I started raising my voice because I became a Lennon fan when I was 10. And one of the things that really ingrained in me, thank you, John Lennon, because this is important. And who knows how many other people he ingrained and what kind of miracles they did, you know, because of that. But he, there was a quote somewhere in some interview, not even a famous one. You'd have to be a deep listening to everything John Lennon ever said, fan to hear this one. But he was saying in one interview at some point, you know, around the time they're doing their peace stuff, don't just follow us. Don't look at us as leaders. You know, if you have a good idea, we'll follow you. Like, you know, just like do something, do good things. And, you know, so you can be a leader, you know, not that you can be a leader. I don't want to be a leader, but you can, you don't have to wait for leaders. You can have an idea and act on it and things can happen. And I did. And those were, and when I heard those words, those were in the days when you listen to your heroes, mm -hmm. when you still have heroes, you know, so, I mean, I was an idiot kid like everybody else. I went, when I, you know, I wanted to try Galois cigarettes because John Lennon smoked them in Paris, you know, but so that was so for good and for bad, but that, but he said that too, <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, and that one obviously stuck with me because I spent my whole life, you know, not letting anything intimidate me in terms of speaking out about things and it's done, it served me well. So thank you, John. What was that dream job that you're wanting growing up? <sighs> Reporter which is interesting because I'm kind of close to that now, which I only realized recently. Well, writer, I guess I wanted to write a book, which I'm actually also doing, but uh, some a business publisher asked me to write a business book. I did. I used to want to write fiction and stories and you know, all that stuff. I was writing a vampire novel when I was 21, unfinished somewhere in longhand, <laughs> in a binder, I'm sure. Um, but that's funny. I hope I find that sometimes it's probably hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to get a movie made out of it. Uh, but, but yes, I wanted to be, I, I remember actually, it's funny. I remember, it's not a newspaper, but it's just a magazine. But I remember doing this when I was a kid in Ottawa. If this was the Ottawa citizen, I would literally do this as a kid practice. I would take them to the paper and pretend there was a screen in front of me, like there really is right now. And pretend this was an audience looking at me. And that like the people on TV, I couldn't just read like in the news like this, right? Because they couldn't, that I had to look, I didn't realize they were teleprompters. I didn't know about teleprompters, right? So I would be like this. Mr. Matthews would have been full-time or active during the notice period if his employer hadn't reached out to give reasonable notice. Like I can still read like three paragraphs with just looking like really quick and doing the whole, because I used to practice that because I thought I'd need that for my inevitable TV news job. And then I didn't worry about that for years, didn't think about that. I started doing just entry-level sales, never really thought about building a business or anything that wasn't in anything to do with, like nobody I knew did that. You know, it's not, we would just be employees forever, luckily, probably. And then this weird trajectory happened that we lucked into suddenly realizing we should just, you know, do what we do and <laughs> people pay us for it. <laughs> So were you on the path with education or did you go right into the job force? No education. My, I went to the job market. Yeah. So I, I um, graduated with honors from school in high school. 
And then I went right to, oh, I was still, I was doing a part-time job at the end of high school. And then I transitioned, I went right to full-time for a while because I, I didn't have any money or my parents could pay for school or anything. So I thought I'd eventually go to university, which I didn't end up doing. But first I ended up, I wanted to go to tra travel, which I did end up doing. So I took a year to work and save up money. I lived at home still, right? And I was eight, so I had the luxury of living at home. So I saved up all my money and ended up, with you know, $4,000 in 1991 for my part-time job. And then I said, going to Europe. That was the, literally, it was a big accomplishment for me in, at 21. To get, not even now I look back on, but that's pretty good. I, I, know, I know I had the parents, you know, I saved up 4,000 bucks. I was like, I'm gonna do this. Nobody believed we were gonna do it, me and my friend. It was like a fad. I was like, no, you're not gonna, yeah, sure, you and your travel. And then we went and bought the ticket, you know, like, and so we were there for four months traveling, just backpacking, you know, it was pre-internet. And we, we loved the fact that nobody knew where we were. We'd call our dads, you know, once a day from, you had to go to some place to call long distance. It was like, it was, and you know, yeah, okay, now we're in Spain. We think tomorrow we're going to go to France. Okay, call you from France, bye. And then we'd be like, yeah. no one knows where we are. <laughs> Which just is weird as a 21 year old. But uh, yeah, so we came back from that and just started, it just didn't, what did I start? Yeah, just went back to working in, customer service in an office and then doing some telemarketing, that kind of thing. Met my husband who was doing a radio show. We started doing the radio show together. That was unpaid. It was University of Toronto, but it went out to all kinds of, um, like it went everywhere, three cities wide. So it was real radio in the city and we could do whatever we want. We wanted to do was activist stuff. So we were talking about anti-racism stuff and social justice stuff and just all those kind of things that we still care about. And um, then that show, that opportunity ended just for whatever reason. Oh, actually, they gave us a midnight slot and they wanted it to be all music. And we were like, yeah, we'll stick with the social justice. And we walked away pretty much what happened. But um, then the early advent of the internet came. So we were still just doing our sales jobs. The internet came and um, we you know, thought, oh, here's a way we can still have a voice. We can still talk about those things. So my husband learned how to make a website. And we somehow found out about the case of Jimmy Dennis who had bought a little ad on something to tell the world that he was innocent, a man innocent on death row in Pennsylvania. The world now knows he was factually innocent. He took 20 years you know, after that, but he was released in 2017. So just everyone knows now. But back then, we were just a couple of crazy kids who believed this and a few other people around the world who believed this were gonna make a difference. And so my husband made the webpage. We didn't have any communications background, any legal background. So how can we help? We need to get it out there. So I literally learned on the Alta Vista, precursor to google to make a um to learn how to write a press release and from that you know it got a certain amount of attention then we got more attention just generally doing a deeper dive into the death penalty to the point where my husband and myself with no legal experience again no major media experience just literally on the strength of the communications that we wrote and what we were doing on the internet got on msnbc court tv a and e cnn if you'd googled my name 10 years ago or up to 10 years ago wouldn't have been all this pr stuff you literally would have found like eight five thousand or i think it was 3800 links i basically built an international reputation as a human rights right and without meaning to just with doing that and then meanwhile i was still doing my you know that was just what we did as our stuff we cared about we were still just doing our stupid entry level sales jobs not really 
you know, just whatever, getting paid, not thinking we're ever going to, that's what you do, right? You just have a job and you get paid on Friday and what you really care about happens before, you know, on the weekends and the evenings, right? And that's what, that's how it was working. And that's how it kept on going for another, you know, 15 years until two years, you know, before Jimmy got out, we knew by then because the judges had already started ruling our way and the, you know, the prosecution was still fighting it and they do what they do and all, but we, we knew by, 2014 2015 that it, okay he's getting out we thought it was gonna to be tomorrow 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 we would have been shocked here it's gonna be another two years but we knew by then it was, it was getting out so it had, but it had nothing to do with like that really it was just one day i was literally sitting there had a light bulb moment like this at my desk that i, I don't want to make another 25 calls for something i don't care about right now i really don't and like I was saying the other day, I mean, ISO 9000 is awesome and everything. I'm sure it's important, but it's not a personal passion of mine. So like, hi, this is Tracy. Call. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I've done that enough of that. But it literally occurred to me, I was like, oh my God, I've literally, you know, this, I've got us on CNN, MSNBC. I know how to deal with media. I, you know, it's all these things that are a mystery to other people I've been doing for 15 years. Huh. I know how to write a press release. I know how to communicate with me. Wait a minute. Don't people pay? Isn't that like a pub? Isn't that a publicist? <laughs> so I literally decided that moment. Yeah, I guess I guess it's my publicist. Huh? I have a 15 year record of being a publicist successfully for this not for profit that I created, by the way, you know, but meanwhile, I'm just sitting here doing entry level sales jobs. It's ridiculous. So I suddenly was like, yeah, I know because of the power of the internet that we all have in front of us, I realized, okay, there must be a way. What do I do? How do I do this publicist thing well i searched and i found elance which i think is called upwork now but it's a free cycle site and there's other ones like it and you know you put your little thing and you're, you're competing with everybody so you have to everything's about the pitch and then you got a price low and i ended up making you know getting a few clients making seven thousand bucks part-time doing it for a couple of months to the point where i was like oh okay so now i'll start to get some real world you know now and one of the clients i got on upwork was angela sadler williamson who's with me six years later who's a cousin of Rosa Parks, like literally Rosa Parks, right? And, and her book and film and children's book about Rosa's legacy after the Alabama basketball battle. And she hired this Canadian girl from Canada on Elance, you know? So things like that, and then obviously doing, you know, I'm good at what I do and get clients like that and able to help elevate my brand. And then I, and then I, now I just work with not just high profile people, but I've moved into educating a lot of solopreneurs and small business people and just individuals, even like the economy people, experts in different things. But yeah, you're experts and you can be quoted in the media and teach them basically how to build their brand the way I built mine to the point where I started this eight years ago, literally out of nothing with no education. And now I have this crazy, impressive resume 180 podcast guest appearances around the world, speaking to businesses and entrepreneurs and educate, you know, and watch how I turn that on the other end of COVID into like speaking travel and speaking engagement. See, it's all about finding opportunities. <laughs> but I only learned that recently. Like the crazy story is like, I, this was not like, none of this was planned. I should never have been able, I should never have got the job, not the job. I should never have been in this point now where I literally have a career when it's not COVID but when it's not 18 hours a day at the computer strategizing and all that, which I love just as much as the VIP parties and the travel, which is literally the other part of it, a life I never should have been accessing. Like I literally, I should have just been an employee my whole life. I didn't have any education, I, you know, I, other than just helping somebody. And then I learned 15 years later, it hit me, hey, wait a minute, I've developed some skills. But so the real lesson there is like, we, like that nine to five, everybody's 
bored and hates their life and they're nine to five, but every single person has something they're passionate about, whether it's a cause or just a hobby or, you know, that could really, you could really build a life out of that. You know, you really could. Like, I mean, say you love sports, which I, I'm not a sports girl, but you would say you, it's a good example because say you love sports, but you can't be an athlete. So you think, oh, it's not my world. Well, there's about 5 billion, you know, 500 jobs in the world of sports. And you could maybe really love your job going up every day. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, but instead you don't think about that. You just go to do that thing that gets you money because you fell into it. Like me literally calling for ISO 9000 because it was comfortable because I could keep on doing my other stuff while I did that. And I never, you know, until I thought of a, wait a minute. And so now, you know, international award-winning, blah, 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 working across sectors, working across industries, didn't go to school for this, never read a book on PR until recently. I never even met another publicist. Going back to when you were traveling, was going and traveling in Europe a way to kind of do a personal growth or a mental like reset in a way to kind of be passionate about traveling and learning about all the things that you were visiting? 100% and just the uh, the realization that I couldn't communicate with everybody I wanted to learn languages after that so much like I came back and I tried to start learning more French and I wanted to learn German and I wanted to learn Spanish because that's where I'd been because the pe fact that I could there were people that I couldn't communicate with was disturbing <laughs> I want to talk to those people but also there were, it's amazing how much you can communicate without language too because I also remember being in Prague and it was like a, literally months after the Soviet soldiers were still in Prague. They were leaving. And so they were all young, 18, 19 year olds. And the bars at like two in the morning, there's all kinds of tourists and Soviet young soldiers and everything else. And I remember, I literally remember, and we were really drunk because and I, don't, I don't drink much now, but you know, you're a tourist traveling in your twenties. And also in Prague where, you know, if you've been traveling all this time, you've been poor as a tourist, you know, cause you're saving your money to backpack. And then all of a sudden in Prague in those days, it was like 10 cents for everything, you know, cause they were just coming from, so all the Western tours, they all think we're rich. We're just like, wow, I can buy an ice cream cone. And <laughs> so we're like buying food, buying ice cream, buying wine at 30 cents. So of course all the tourists are drunk. And I remember having a conversation about world of like I'm a politics. I remember him saying to me, and we didn't share any language except like a little bit of French. We both spoke very little bit. He said maybe 10 words of German and I had 10 words of English. So I don't know what language he said in it, but he was saying about Prague. It was, he specifically said it was very hard in communist times. We had a whole conversation that I remember. So I don't know how that happened. But yeah, in terms of thinking about that, like it made me, I was proud of myself for having done it because I remember thinking, wow, people talk about it their whole lives. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I just did it. And I'm only 21, huh? So I think beyond the travel thing, I realized, no, I set a goal. I didn't just talk about it. I did it. Look at me now. Here I am in Rome. Huh? So I think that was like a re another a little boost a little like a life lesson too for sure and now and I just still love travel so much like I you know I want to go I don't care about fancy hotels though they're nice when you pay for them I like more the hostels and someplace where I'm going to meet the other travelers for sure just like when I was 20 because that's half the experience is meeting the people from other places and you know yeah you mentioned earlier that your dream job was to be a reporter or in that kind of industry. When you got the job working at the radio station or radio hosting, was that a starting step to getting to that kind of reporter because you had to talk to people, but even though they couldn't possibly see you talking? Yeah, um, I guess for sure. Yeah. And, then, and that definitely put me in more of a comfort zone and then that headspace, which is also probably people have said to us, 
why did you and your husband end up writing to that guy on death row to even help him in the first place? And I was like, wow, that's a great question. I started I had to think about that for a long time because we actually sat down and wrote a letter. Like we didn't just send an email. We sat and wrote a letter and then mailed it and put a stamp on it and then mailed it to death row and said, okay, so how, and so that's, a, you know, a big jump. And so why did we do that? Well, you know, because we were activist minded, yes, but also the other key, because we were kids and activists, we changed the world, but also we had recently had that radio show. So we were still in that, in our mindset about gathering information, right? So we saw that as much as we were activists, we were also like, huh, how innocent can this guy be? Like, let's check this out. So that would give us, so now we're going to, you know, as opposed to as an activist, you may not be like, okay, guy on death row, tell me your, you know, but so we were doing it, like that's what we were doing, but probably because our, our, our actions were also informed by having done the radio show and being information gatherers and, you know, that made us actually do that and I'm glad that we did. When you were helping the guy with the, in death row, were you ever worried about the negative effects that it could have getting yourselves involved in that kind of situation? funnily enough it's hilarious but no because you look back on it now and if you were going to start an inter if you were going to advise someone on how to start an international publicity career especially where you which so this is how you sh you know i was that wasn't even in my mind right it wasn't even a because if you were going to advise someone how to start an international publicity career you, you wouldn't really advise them them to go out there really and be a public activist, especially on something that's a controversial issue, because it wasn't just the innocent guy on death row, who now we all know is innocent. But back then, when he's not, you know, when people don't know that, then you're just a crazy person. I'm talking to death row prisoners, right? <laughs> Until it's all proven. Now, now you're a hero. Like it's funny how the tone change. You know, yeah, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I know. You know what I'm saying? No one said I was crazy. You know what I mean? My friends and family, they're probably like, yeah, you guys in your death row, whatever. That's that's just some crazy stuff. I don't know what you, you know. And then when, but when he's released, it's like, oh, oh my God, look what you did. You guys are heroes. <laughs> but you don't feel like that going, you know, you're not, you're just doing like activists going through. Right. So um, I never, we never thought of that at all. We, and we were doing that, you know, beyond the, beyond Jimmy Dennis, the innocent case, we ended up talking about against the American death penalty again on A&E, on CNN, on MSBNB, on court TV, fighting with Nancy Grace, my husband. Okay. So we put ourselves literally right out there and we didn't care the american media called us feisty they called us it was always with respect but we always got our points out and even fox you know like my husband was challenged on fox he nailed them so good not even without like i mean with just perfect pr precision like i couldn't have written it better now you know that it was the next time they didn't ask him that question you know what i mean so we learned you know we just learned all that stuff by fire you know it was that that's what turned but yeah you wouldn't have planned that i never would i didn't care because i was an activist what i cared about was that the world would hear this guy was innocent on death row and then after that about all these other injustices like all activists who you know and i had red bright red hair before that and I, again after but there was a good period in there when i was doing that death penalty work when my mother could never you know my young days my mother could never convince me not to have bright red hair nobody else did but i myself went and got brown hair dye the first time i was going to be on national television in the 90s in 1999 because I was the only person who was speaking out for somebody's life and I wanted them to hear this and not be distracted by this you know so I went like changed my life for that understated every, you know what I mean so for that but this, that's what we cared about is getting that message out we didn't care about 
uh, our name at all. And then we didn't transition from one day to the next to do that. I still laugh sometimes, Alice, because I wonder when I put out a press release in Texas, we were big, like we were the cover of the Houston Chronicle. We were like making noise there about boycotts. It was hilarious. You know, it was pretty funny looking back. And now the, so the first time I was putting out a press release 10 years later, you know, for clients, business clients. <laughs> and the first time I had to put one out in Houston, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, because my name is really an uncommon name, Lamari. And it's a totally different context, though. You know, completely different context. A publicist writing you about somebody, as opposed to some loudmouth activist about the death penalty, right? But I've often wondered, have any of the, but nobody seems to have, have any of the newspaper people been like, Lamari, why does that name sound familiar? <laughs> but yeah, so we, but it was completely unrelated. So pretty much by the time we started to build a PR company, I, all that stuff is still online. So you search me, people, and in my first couple of clients, people, I remember people coming to me, the first person who would Google me online, and they said, I Googled you. And I thought, oh, no, this is a second conversation, you know, where they're deciding if they're going to hire me. And I'm thinking, oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> right? And they and they just said, they, I had no idea to this day what they thought about the death penalty. The, their tone was like, they hired me. Their tone was flat on that. Right? But they were like, you're quite the mover and shaker. And so that's what they took away from it. It's like, look, if this girl can get on CNN or not, well, you know, let's see what she can do for me. And now most people don't even know. Now they're starting to know about that history again because I've been doing so many podcasts and people ask the question, how'd you get started? And I'm happy to tell them, you know, because I'm proud of that story. And then I get to talk about Jimmy and refer them to his new song, Tears, this year because he's a musician right now. And, <laughs> you know, and I always say, hey, I've been talking about him for 20 years. And now he's got a voice he can sing. I'm going to just refer it to him. But, um, you know, so I'm, I'm now a lot of people that have known my work as a professional publicist on all these stages, all these years, they have no idea about that. And I forget the people who add me on the socials in the last year or two, they don't know anything about that. And then once, in, you know, I'll suddenly post something from Jimmy Dennis, who was 20, you know, here's Rolling Stone magazine quoting me about the 20 year story. And people are like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a big thing. Have you had moments where clients would research you and they find out about those things that you got involved with or the things that you're an activist about and it kind of took them away from wanting you as their publicist? So probably mo most of those cases, I mean, I wouldn't hear from those ones. They would just go away, right? So I'm sure there have been people like that that looked me up and said, ah, yeah, and uh, whether uh, that history or you know, they don't like that I'm a cannabis advocate or they don't like the red hair or who knows, right? They don't like the glasses or, you know, so those ones I wouldn't hear from because they wouldn't message me and be like, hey, I was going to hire you, but screw you. They would just not hire me. But the, instead, the people that I do hear from that hire me and I got no shortage of clients. I've never had one day where I haven't had a client. And now, these days I have an overload where, you know, like seriously, if I lost 10 of them, I wouldn't, it wouldn't affect my workload or, you know, not that I want to, I love them all. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, so it doesn't matter. But um so I, I'm, the ones that I have heard from in the context of that, the ones who have mentioned that have either said, you know, they either admire it hugely, like it's actually brought some major high profile clients to me because they like, and again, they don't tell me where I assume they're against it, they don't tell me where they stand on the issue, but they see my heart on the issue that I'm passionate, that I'm heart centered, that, you know, so I think it's actually got me clients, it's got, I mean, it certainly hasn't hurt my success. I'm more successful than 90% of the publicists I know. I have a better public profile than, so there's no way it's hurt me, you know? If it's lost me some clients, so be it. Those probably wouldn't be my people anyway. I think it kind of also you can compare that to where people in friendships in a way where people are vocal about things that they're passionate about and 
you haven't let those things stop you. You're vocal about the things you're passionate about. And if people don't agree with it, you kind of just, it, it's a growing experience for you. And you're still going to be who you are as a person. You're not going to let someone change you based on what they're saying. And it shows in your character and how you've been able to win awards and people are recognizing you. So it shows that you're being the true inner self that you want to be. Thank you. Yeah, that's important to me. I mean, like I say, I, I never want to, that, that's what success, you know, that's what I, you know, I'm not money set. I'm still, I'm trying to be focused on that now. I'm running a business, like my business consultant says, you know, you have to act like you're the head of a business that exists, a corporation that exists to make money. It's not, so I'm trying to get my head around, but, but in generally, I mean, if I was money, I'm smart and savvy. If I was super money centered, I would have been a millionaire like when I was 30. Like my dad told me at 29, he literally said, if you guys spend as much time building a business, which wasn't even in our frame of mind at the time, we weren't even thinking of that. He said, if you spend as much time building a business as you guys do with all this death row stuff he'd be a millionaire by the time you were 30 and I literally thought huh yeah you know what dad you're right that moment I thought he was right but I'm like but you know what I'm sorry but <laughs> I'm not really focused on that <laughs> you're right though good point and um and now Jimmy Dennis and I laugh about that sometimes because he's in court now you know to try to get his money that they owe him for this wrongful conviction and innocence 25 years and they're fighting tooth and nail because that's what they do in Philadelphia and um but we always laugh he's always like oh we're gonna get our money and I'm like it's not our money dude I didn't spend 25 years on death row. Like, it's nice that you want, he, he, he feels like he wants to give a little bit back to everyone who helped him. And, uh, you know, we're always, and then one time I was joking, I was like, but if I ever took a penny, it would literally be just, I could say to my dad, there you go, dad, you happy? That particular thing made money as well as the fact that I'm also making my own I'm business focused now. And um, business is doing, even in COVID, like business is good. I managed to pivot and, you know, I work 18 hours a day to make it work, but clients keep coming to me and, you know, I'm privileged, honestly blessed because they're amazing, amazing projects. I don't take in on anything that I don't feel. I really, I've said no to two because I, I really am privileged now that I don't have to, you know, I don't, I don't want to take, I don't want to work with anything that I'm not really passionate about. I either have to be really passionate about it or I have to really feel the person and I just believe in them and they're just doing, you know, they're building their own little thing and I just like them and I want to see them succeed, <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't all have to be that you're saving the world or, or you're doing it. You know what I mean? It could just be your you're changing your own life and the people around you and you're a good person and now you're you know your little your little business your little whatever right you're sinking you're swimming and not sinking which is talk about your current set of clients what kind of industries are they in and what is your goal in being their publicist so across industry, and let's talk about that. Okay, so there's two sectors, well, there's a bunch of sectors, but there's two kind of groups. One is the people that people expect an entertainment or publicists to have. So, you know, entertainment people. So I have authors, public speakers, I have a filmmaker, I have actors, I have all those people, singers, musicians. Um, and obviously they're, you know, creative and they need creative opportunities and they want, you know, all that stuff that you expect. But the other half of the people that I serve, and probably did 60% now because I've been doing so much work with entrepreneurs, is um, solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. So literally, hey, can I just go like a recently, um, a, a personal chef, like a who's going to be building her national brand, but she's a local personal chef that mostly right now does things for people who come into Airbnb into Colorado. So she goes into them. So she, I've got um, a marketing expert, a neuromarketing expert. I've got a, a luxury real estate agent. I've got a software company in the UK that gives 
uh, free programming, software programs to schools right now for kids that are away in COVID. I've got an osteopath. I've got a psychiatrist. I've got a psychologist. I've got a Beverly Hills diet doctor. I've got a literally, literally, like just you can see right across the board. It's, there's no standard. So basically, they're all experts in their field. And my job is to elevate, I, I like to say elevate and celebrate what they all do. So that's finding the media opportunities, finding opportunities to get them on award show state award stages, which a lot of people don't know. I mean, you think of what you mean all the awards in your industry, but there's also a ton of other ones, just entrepreneur awards or power women awards or a whole bunch of things. So I find that landscape in, you know, I just find all kinds of different ways to elevate my clients and to shine a light on the awesome things that they all do. And that's essentially my job, which is a pretty cool job. What is your mental mindset when you're unable to get an opportunity for one of your clients? How do you change the direction and continue to go after another opportunity for them? I always make sure, because I mean, like I said at the beginning, it's all about strategy and you know, I don't get discouraged. I know at the beginning, even the best press release or the best thing that we craft, you know, similar, we just did one this week, you know, so, sometimes it's really hard to get, um, play for it right so then you got to go okay so really let's really unwrap what we just did yeah that was an amazing press release why would if I again I'm the editor why would I not and so I determined this week again even though this is what I teach about and I talk about all the time that a press release we had put out was ultimately too advertorial as opposed to editorial even though I literally I wrote the release and I literally teach people about that all the time right but at the same time it's really hard on a business release to do that lie. And then I realized looking at it, I went, oh, no, but now I figured it out. I read it again, you know, two in the morning, my business partner, Dave was like, oh no, see, problem is here. Even though it's a free thing where, cause I was thinking it wasn't advertorial cause we're giving away a free thing that's advantage to all the people, blah, blah, blah. But like my husband said, ultimately it's still a company and the company wants a space. So the way, wait, you know, and we're like, yeah, we started talking. So how do we get that in? It's gotta be about a person and an expert. So it's not about this company giving anything away to schools or free selling or anything to do with whatever the company's doing. It's not about that. It's now we have to have an expert who's willing to speak on education, how kids are dealing with all this. What are some of the solutions that, you know, schools are finding to address that? And that can be one of the solutions. And then there can be some other solutions as well. So now we're presenting a completely different thing. We're now presenting a conversation about kids and COVID. And that's just one. Whereas before, no matter how good the release was, it's a press release, ultimately a company and the nice thing they're doing, which is what? An ad. Right. So even though it was newsworthy in some ways, the, you know, the bar of the newsroom is super high. Right. Because ultimately that's right. So when we really unwrap that was that again, I speak on that all the time. And I wrote that one and it was still a good release. Like it's a, it was a good magazine article. But in terms of an, a release to generate the attention of the BBC doing an interview, uh, uh so now we're doing a second one. So that's how we just sit there, we unwrap it. You know, was it us or was it? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it could be, you could have done every single thing perfect, no perfect, but it's still the, no, the news who has other things going on or they've just done something like that. or they. So you can't always, and you just have to, it's about managing your client's expectations too. So they realize, you know, if you don't, if I don't own the New York Times, I can't promise to get you in the New York Times this week. What I can promise you is my strategy, my savvy, my smart, my writing. If I don't get you in that, I'm going to get you in Reader's Digest or this. We're going to find something that's going to ultimately get you closer to your goal. So my goal is not any one particular result, you know, but it's a general collection of results. And by the end of their time with me, like one client, 
we've had a month together now, but I'm still waiting on some of the results. Some of the things I know are coming in, but he hasn't been able to see the result because it takes some time for some of them. You know, he's not complaining at all. He just said to me, when does our month end? Because most people take a three months and he started with a one month, which is, you know, usually more for an event. And I said, well, actually it ended seven days ago, but I'm waiting on some results. I'm not even going to tell you your month is over. I'm not going to ask you to renew or you know, either consider renewing or, or say goodbye until I'm happy with the results. You don't know what to expect. I do. He's never had a publicist before. I, you know what I mean? So I'm like, so I said, so actually your weekend, did, you know, your time ended a week ago, but we're taking it to at least to the end of February. He's like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. And then, cause by, by then I'm going to see those results that I know are coming in. He's going to be happy. I'll be like, now your month's over. It's up to you. You can walk away, come back another time, or you can feel free to renew and chances are he'll renew. Whereas if I just say, oh, you're done a week ago, from his perspective he hasn't seen the articles yet he will soon mm-hmm. you know but like so no i'm gonna get more get more give him a, give him another 12 days whatever it's gonna come back to me right so i i'd rather give more you know than being strict on everything i'm again not very business minded so this is where someone would say oh no they're done 12 days you know but i find it works to also be people-centered and also obviously know your own worth and be careful because some people will take advantage of you when they're not even meaning to they're not even trying to but if you just don't mention that it's too much, then they'll just keep on going, right? So you sometimes have to set your limits. But at the same time, yeah, you can't just be, I, it doesn't work for me to just be like, okay, we're done. It's about relationships, right? We're building relationships. So during your publicist career, what has been the biggest accomplishment for yourself, but also what has been the biggest accomplishment you've been able to give to your a client? So that's okay. So we're talking about that career. So after the Jimmy Dennis thing. Um, so I think my accomplishment for myself is the whole, uh, build, I would say the whole thing is building my own brand, not for my brand, you know, but because whatever I do for my brand, it like it opens up more doors, right? So the, the more I can elevate myself, absolutely the more it benefits every single client I have, because then I'm walking through more doors of all kinds. And I'm bringing them all with me, you know, wherever it's so, yeah, I mean, and, and my clients tell me all the time, I've had clients tell me literally that I made their childhood dreams come true because they had secret dreams where they never told anybody that they always wanted to be the one that was quoted in these magazines, but they never thought it could actually happen. So they never said it until they were quoted in Reader's Digest and then they confessed that that was always one of their dreams, you know? And then another client that I've been working with for eight weeks now, but at a six week point, she said, you've literally changed my life and my business. And I thought, I mean, I've heard a lot of accolades, but that was over the top. So I said, what do you mean? Well, she's in the middle of just past uh, pre-seed funding, which was successful. And now they're getting funding. I'm looking for their other funding. And she said, now in four articles that I got them over the period of a couple of weeks, investors are taking them more seriously. People are coming out of the woodwork that she hadn't heard from in 20 years saying, oh, wow, look at you, you're doing good. So just from her own family to the people with the deep pockets, you know, it literally changed the landscape. So like the fact that I can use the platform that I've been able to build for my own, literally I started this in the corner of my living room with a really crappy old computer and an internet connection. That was it, no you know, nothing, no celebrity contacts, no, I mean, just, you know, the knowledge of the stuff I've been able to do the death penalty, but I mean, that does not, you have to be pretty smart and savvy to, to, to transition even, even big time activism to the level that we were doing it, you know, to like a business where you're getting clients and the whole, 
whole different thing, <laughs> you know? So I say one thing for accomplish myself. I thought about it recently that in my lifetime, without even realizing it, in the period of 20 years, I twice, I built two interna international, respected global profiles to the point, like, Two, in two different things, to the point where on the death penalty and the human rights have were quoted or mentioned in 19 print books, like books with titles like Global Relations, Canada and the Death Penalty, and the US, like, I mean, scholarly books, you know, that, and again, no, how did I do that? I don't even know how I did that. And then, then I did it again. <laughs> so I, I don't know. So that shows me that I'm really good at PR not at fake PR, but at elevating, like, you know, building on and shining light on, on stuff. Because, like, you know, I was able to do it. And I'm working now for people that are way more accomplished than I was when I started doing that. And, I, and I'm honored every day. You know, I have a diverse collection of clients. And this is not, you know, something that I say because it's trendy. This is like somebody pointed this out a year ago. Actually, Rosa Parks' cousin. She said, because I shared the, who my previous, just something generic, like my previous seven guests on my show that were my clients, and here's the next show come up. And she's like, wow, you have a really diverse client base. And I was like, hi, love is like, just this is my friends and my family and my community, right? But it's true. It was like that particular one just happened to be, and it was just who was doing interesting things that week. There was no like planning. And there were six people. It was something like three black women, two Hispanic, uh, one, one guy, one white guy, poor white guy, one white guy, one old guy, one Hispanic. So he was actually the old white guy. <laughs> and, I had, and then one like Hispanic gay guy, a Hispanic woman, two black women, two white women like it was literally like if you were casting you know a diverse crowd and I was like oh that's hilarious because that's literally just my random six last six weeks of client that I wanted to highlight because of whatever project that week right? but so I'm proud of that so I you know what I'm proud of is not you know that I haven't created that that are diverse people that are diverse across sectors across experience across races across ages trust me for their messaging for their public messaging and that's huge so what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next couple of years, personally and professionally? So my two big things, one is becoming a job creator. Cause I know like I could get a hundred more clients right now, but I can't serve all those clients. So, so now that makes me feel like I have a responsibility cause I can actually bring work in. So I should be finding people to do that work, which is huge to get your head around. It's really hard to find the time and understand and to train people what you do when you're an entrepreneur and all that. But, but I feel like that's the next place we need to go is like, because I could create 10 jobs, 10 people could have awesome lives like I've created for myself in an, in an environment where it's hard to do that, you know, literally from working at home with their brains and a computer, right? How awesome is that? If they're the right kind of mindset, the right. So I would like to get my head around now that we've incorporated figuring that scary thing out, that whole employee like a whole thing <laughs> I got to figure out and um other than that I think I found out you know that I'm really good at and uh, or at least I should say the entrepreneurs and these podcasters and executives you know when I have these speaking engagements there's really saying they find a lot of value in it like to the point where a lot of the you know we're talking entrepreneurs stuff on these podcasts they're all like super excited at the end a lot of the podcasters are not only talking they're hiring me they're saying great things they're really saying that they, it's stuff that they needed to hear so now I'm wanting to like I said segue that I'm thinking I'll never stop doing what I'm doing but maybe I'll stop doing it you know for 18 hours a day and I'll do it for like six hours a day with, you know, 10 clients instead of 40 clients. Just like a particular, like lower my client um, 
number based by my, who I'm personally serving personally. And by then, hopefully I'd have a, you know, staff and then um, have about half my time be speaking and educating other people on it, whether it's people, because you don't need five years in schools when you go to PR. I'd love to educate people who might want to do what I do about how, like, how about you skip the five years in school and I'll tell you what you really need to know. And then you can just start, like I did, get a couple of clients and boom, guess what? You're a publicist, right? <laughs> Other than going to school for five years and you get out and you don't have a single contact or a single connection and you just don't know how to write a press release. And, you know, I don't really know where to go with that. But so I'd like to teach people that, like, you know, but also, you know, speak more on, to speak to entrepreneurs and executives about how to use PR or use media opportunities to build their brand. And um, yeah, and and speak to marketing people about how to use some tools for the publicist tool belt. So I'm hoping that on the other side of COVID, I can maybe spend 25% of my time in speaking, you know, being paid for speaking engagements, hopefully in places, you know, with palm trees, because I've been missing the travel. I'm telling you, Alex. <laughs> I, I can agree with that also. I'm trying to be strategic here. <laughs> The final question I'll ask you, based on your journey and experience, for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? So I always say, and here I'm going to go back to a quote Jimmy Dennis, you know, because when a guy on 20, he spent 25 years innocent on death row says, never, never give up, seriously consider that and that's the lyrics in his latest song tears this year but i answer that too because sometimes he has hard times too like we all do and ptsd and struggle and everything and so i say to him and to all entrepreneurs this works for all of us we didn't get this far to only get this far mm-hmm. you didn't get this far to only get this far so honestly whether you wanted to jump off a bridge yesterday but you didn't or whether you are allotted and applauded and things are going well whether you're where you want to be or whether you're like stuck and you feel like just what's going on because this year's been crazy whatever it is you've got you know whether you're still here you've gotten through it all you see if you're still in the middle of challenging honestly especially for those people who are really still in the middle of challenges where all this you know what i mean where they literally got through yesterday but it was hard you got through it you did not get this far to only get this far you didn't get through all that crap and all those people and all those idiots and that hard time you didn't make it through that hard yesterday to get to today, to not get to tomorrow. So that's what I like to leave people with right now. You did not, you personally, listener, did not get this far and deal with all that to only get this far. So keep on going. Well, Tracy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. We're excited to see what the future looks like for you and you're inspiring people every single day. Thank you, Alex. Great show. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.